0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Crowning Around, a podcast where three regular everyday peasants attempt to learn about the royal family through their depictions on film and television. My name is Sam Chung, and today we're coming at you with a podcast that longtime listeners may consider to be a long time coming. Um, And so that we would say fair, because today we're diving into Stephen Frears' 2006 film The Queen, written by Peter Morgan, starring Helen Mirren as Queen Elizabeth II, along with James Cromwell, Alex Jennings, Helen McCrory. And Michael Sheen. The film earned several Oscar nominations including Best Picture and won Helen Mirren an Oscar for Best Actress beating out among others Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada. The Queen chronicles the life uh, or the lives rather of Queen Elizabeth and new PM Tony Blair in the week following the death of Princess Diana and coming off a viewing of Naomi Watts uh, in the Diana movie. These two movies actually flowed together, I think, really naturally. And I'm very excited to dive in today with my two co hosts. First, a man who would be thrilled to have a chorus line of soap stars and homosexuals at his funeral. It's Ivan Vukovic. Ivan, hopefully we are a long way off, but have you considered what you might want to happen at your funeral? And do you have a code name for it? Oh, geez. That's like, wait,
1: how many questions is that? <laughs> it was really three. just
0: two questions. <laughs>
1: Okay. uh, What I would want to happen, um, uh, I mean, I'm I'm fifty-fifty on a Tom Cruise appearance, like he he showed up to (laughs) Diana's funeral, and uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of the Mission Impossible movies, but I feel like that would just be a very weird attendee to have uh, show up. What was the second question? Uh, Does your funeral have a code name? Yeah. I mean, if Tom Cruise is going to be there, it's got to be Ghost Protocol. (laughs) Ghost Protocol.
0: I like that. Uh, also back with us today, uh, a woman who loves the pettiness of a shallow curtsy. It's Carlin Greenwald. And Carlin, now that I bring this up, have you ever curtsied in your life?
2: Yeah, I think so. I remember as a child, they like made me learn. I think because like you take cotillion or something where like your parents put you in manners class. And I remember <laughs> never wanting to do it because I was like, this sounds more complicated than just bowing. Why can't I just bow? I also have weird hips. So yeah, I... I don't really like curting. I'm still not <laughs> entirely sure how to do it, so it's a good Wait, thing you, I'm not meeting the queen.
1: You you did cotillion?
2: For like a second, I don't think I finished the program.
1: Wait, there's a program. It's not just a yeah. This is news to me too.
0: Wait, I, hold I've never on. heard of this.
2: I mean, in my hometown, they had something. I don't know if like people in my school went to cotillion. Maybe I just heard about people going. And they taught me stuff. I don't really remember, because I don't really remember going except for one time. Wait, and did don't you know Mandela why affect stopped. yourself?
0: You may or may not have gone to Cordelia.
2: <laughs> well, I remember going once, but not like uh, the whole time. I, why would I not have more than one memory? Uh,
1: apologies to our listeners, but we will not be discussing the 2006 film, The Queen, today. We, we Our attention has turned into more critical matters. <laughs>
2: I have nothing else to say. I think I really, I really think I went for a little bit and they teach you how to curtsy or they tell you you have to
1: curtsy. Is there footage? that this all culminate in anything? <laughs>
2: no. Yeah,
0: was there a graduation video?
2: <laughs> no, that's, that's the thing. There's never going to be any proof of this. And if I asked my parents, they'd probably clarify that it wasn't cotillion that I made that up from somewhere. I've been to manners class.
0: So you at manners class, you learned how to curtsy. And yeah, then did they, you ever they, use, like, But then did you ever use it after that?
2: No. <laughs> Cuz <'Cause> we're American.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. I mean, I think you could probably bow.
2: Could you though? I feel like like if you hmm if I had to go meet King Charles now, I think I'd have to curtsy and I'd have to go learn again.
0: I think you'd have to break dance.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Charles? That's what he's changing in the protocol.
0: <laughs> I mean, he's all about modernization. He would love a breakdance.
2: Do it, Charles.
0: (laughs) Um, All right. As always, if you came here for any sort of factual clarity about the events that transpired in The Queen, you have come to the wrong place because we don't know. We're just trying to learn. And so we're going to assume that everything that we saw here is factually accurate because otherwise, why would it have made its way into an Oscar-nominated movie? Uh, I mean, and also... Obviously. (laughs) yeah. I will say... This movie had so much found footage. I think it was half a script and half found footage. Not found footage, but like found archive. footage. Yeah,
2: they just found <laughs> that
0: footage of Diana. Archive footage, I guess, is the is the appropriate term. But before we dive in, uh, Ivan, can you give us a quick recap of the uh, the Queen?
1: Yes, absolutely. Okay, so uh, the film opens really right around the time that, like Sam said, the Diana film ended, and really around very close to the time that uh, Crown Season 5 ended, so uh, the 1997 general election results in uh, Tony Blair and the Labor Party uh, taking uh, their role as the leaders of government uh, on a vision of grand reform and modernization. Uh, he meets the Queen. Um, they have a somewhat icy first meeting that kind of foreshadows that uh, there are going to be some clashes and perspectives uh, in this relationship. And then a few months later, uh, Princess Diana, uh, you know, meets her tragic death and it is now up to both, uh, Tony Blair and the queen to respond accordingly. So, you know, in the day following, um, the accident, he reaches out to her to kind of essentially ask, okay, you know, what's, what's the plan of attack here? How, how are we going to honor her life and allow the nation to mourn? And to his, uh, mild shock, um, The Queen makes it very clear that the royal family will not be uh, doing anything in any official capacity to kind of commemorate Diana's life or uh, grief uh, for her in any sort of uh, public and stately way. Uh, And she has, uh, to some degree, the backing of the Spencer family uh, in this decision because they have chosen to keep Diana's uh, funeral private. So uh, it is now up to Tony Blair to step up and really kind of uh, lead the nation in the morning. And, uh, you know, he rises to the occasion with the help of his staff and uh, his speechwriter Alistair, who uh, is really kind of uh, gunning for making this a moment where Tony is going to shine and uh, perhaps even overshadow the queen. Tony, you know, he does a grand speech, uh, dubs Diana, the people's princess, uh, suddenly wins the affection of the country because they see him as someone who is reading the room really well. Um, and as the first couple of days, uh, following, uh, Diana's death go by, uh, suddenly, uh, the people of, uh, the UK are starting to become very impatient and frustrated at, uh, the monarchy's lack of response. Um, And uh, with each passing day, Tony continues to reach out to uh, Queen Elizabeth, who is up in Balmoral uh, at this time, uh, to really kind of urge her to do something, you know, release some kind of statement, come back to London, make this uh, funeral uh, public, really uh, show that uh, Diana was an integral part of the fabric of not just uh, the royal family, but really kind of the the zeitgeist of uh, Great Britain at that time. Um, And Queen Elizabeth continues to uh, refuse to do so. Uh, But as the days continue to go on and the week progresses, public opinion continues to intensify uh, very negatively against uh, the Queen and against uh, the monarchy, eventually uh, coming to a boiling point where uh, 70 percent of the country believe that her actions are damaging the monarchy and, uh, quote, one in four people are interested in abolishing the monarchy altogether. And that uh, ends up being the wake up call for Elizabeth, who then begins to make some uh, concessions including expanding the funeral to be uh public and then uh, she and the family is returning to london and taking part in everything doing all the things she hadn't done to really try to salvage her reputation and the uh, you know, integrity and uh, importance of the royal family. So the funeral takes place. Uh, the speeches are made. The, the grieving is done. And months later, uh, the prime minister and the queen uh, meet once again. They haven't seen each other in a while. They rehash what happens, um, and they you know move forward uh, with uh, what promises to now be a more constructive relationship, but not before uh, Elizabeth warns Tony that, uh, you know, one day without warning, this shift in public opinion where everybody, uh, you know, turned on her, uh, the same thing can and likely will happen to him eventually and for him to prepare himself for that day. So that is the Queen.
0: Thanks, Ivan. So I think if we just start big picture, obviously we've now seen the relationship between Diana and the royal family and the crown a little bit. And obviously a little frosty. I thought that this movie actually went further in that frostiness than the crown has ever gotten, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, the crown it seems, or maybe Peter Morgan himself has kind of dialed back how inflammatory, (laughs) I guess, uh, the portrayal of the royal family is in relationship with, uh, Diana and her legacy.
1: Yeah, I mean the the crown's portrayal of, of of Elizabeth and her treatment toward Diana, it it feels more like Elizabeth is sort of rolling her eyes at Diana and kind of judging her from afar and just kind of Treating her as uh, as a child that she doesn't really have time to deal with, whereas this version of Elizabeth is just completely disavowing the existence of Diana and 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 trying to pretend that she was never even a member of the royal family to begin with, and and, and perhaps uh, you know we'll see echoes of that in the Crown, but but it certainly feels like a big tonal shift.
2: Well, it's interesting because in the Crown they haven't formally divorced yet, right?
1: Uh, I think they, yeah, they just no, they, yeah. did toward the end of the season, or at least they they. Uh, you know, charted the course for it.
2: Yeah. So I wonder if that's going to be a specific thing that Peter Morgan starts doing next season or not. That's, you yeah, know, that's actually really interesting, huh? No, yeah. I, I think they, they would have
1: to be divorced because we, we, the Crown ended like with weeks to go until the, 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 the incident in Paris. True. So uh, yeah, she would have had to be officially done at that point.
0: Do, do we think that this is like Peter Morgan? trying to get more access like as the crown develops into a bigger thing or do you think maybe he's had some sort of perspective shift like why it's hard to
1: say i mean this movie came out in 2006 which was you know like it doesn't feel like it but that was like less than a decade after uh diana's passing so you know perhaps with a little bit more distance and and a bit more perspective uh peter morgan's uh Worldview changed a little bit, or or you know his opinion of what happened, and his opinion of the royal family's response, or even what that the foundation of that relationship looked like. Um, yeah, it's hard to say, but I guess we'll we'll know in in a couple of months when we we see these events unfold in what I assume will be the first couple episodes of season six.
2: Yeah, and I guess the other thing I'm thinking is like a movie requires different levels of like drama in it to like, they usually end up feeling a little bit grander than I think TV has the space to have a little bit more nuance in there. So I'm suspecting it's a little bit of both maybe. Cause I can definitely see his perspective changing like as time passes and he gets to not know the queen better but I'm sure there were like little tidbits and like biographies probably came out of like you just get more information over time.
0: Yeah, Ivan to your point, I do think that this is going to be probably a full episode in the Crown, Peter Morgan will essentially have a chance to remake this movie, yeah. um, which, which I imagine will be pretty so similar. interesting. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Like we, I mean, we have. I mean, did we recap any films written by Peter Morgan previously on the podcast? So. No, it was it was all like Julian Fellow stuff, and then maybe mm-hmm. wait was the was the King speech King's speech was that Peter Morgan?
2: I want to say. See no that's tom hooper but did he write it oh i don't know
1: maybe yeah yeah tom hooper was the director but uh no he wasn't i just looked it up um okay yeah so yeah this is really the first time that peter morgan is going to be doing some double dipping and and kind of covering the same time period and subject matter from a completely different angle
2: that is so imagine being the guy who gets to do that (laughs) like it's it's hard enough to get one thing made and then they let you do the exact same thing twice (laughs)
0: Yeah, this is kind of his trial run. Yeah, I wonder
1: if he feels some kind of pressure to approach it from a from a completely different angle as he wrote those first episodes of season 6 cuz I mean, we we see the action center here very heavily on Tony Blair and on Queen Elizabeth. Um Charles is in this movie for sure. Uh mm-hmm. and you know, he he definitely has a couple of moments, but you don't really get a lot from What's happening with him, or even what's happening with uh, uh, William and Harry, and or, or quite frankly, even like you know Camilla. Like, there's probably uh, you know some kind of processing that is happening there uh, from from her mm-hmm. side. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, it 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 stands to reason that we might be seeing these events unfold through a couple of additional perspectives, and that'll add some additional color to it all.
2: I think that'd actually be great because you definitely like leave the film kind of feeling like the people most affected by this would probably be Charles and the kids. I mean, I guess to some extent, it's like, are you going to show grieving children when the princes are alive?
1: My, my theory is that in the crown version, we will probably get a lot less Tony Blair. Like we will probably get mm-hmm. some scenes where he's on the phone with the the queen. But then once that call ends, the scene doesn't continue at, at Downing Street. It continues at Balmoral. And and we continue to see events unfold mm, yeah. through the perspectives of family members. I, I don't know if we're going to get an Alistair in The Crown. Like, I don't know if we're going to yeah. be seeing a, a bunch of members of Tony's staff or or perhaps even his wife. Like, I think that's probably where things will diverge a bit.
2: I want to see Margaret, who was apparently very mad that her vacation had to end. <laughs> because
0: right, exactly. Of
2: Diana. <laughs>
0: I will say, Tony was our one kind of link to the public perception of what was going on, besides, like, Queen Elizabeth watching coverage on the news, and... I mean, that was kind of what brought this film together, I think, was the relationship between Queen Elizabeth and the people, which even in The Crown, I don't think we've really seen a lot of. I mean, obviously, she's doing Mm -hmm. these kind of meet and greets like (laughs) every couple of months with the public, but like select members of the public who pass the vetting process. Um, Right. I don't know how we would necessarily get that without Tony Blair. Because she was so removed up in Scotland while this whole, while this all happened,
2: yeah. And it's I really did like those interviews. It was like that was the couple pieces of found footage that I actually found. Like it's kind of affecting. Oh, we are calling it found that, footage now. <laughs> oh, you're right. Archival footage. Wow. Oh well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah. I don't know those interviews because it, it just it's such a stark contrast. And I feel like what people remember is like the people's reactions. Where like there was that one lady who was like. I don't know. Like, they just described being, like, gutted and, like, it's almost, like, it's probably worse. It's, like, it seems like they're, like, oh, we, like, lost a family member, but also, like, it's kind of, like, losing something bigger than that because she represents something so big. I thought that was interesting because she is more, like, a specter in this movie, and I I thought it was really well done. So, be curious to see if they keep that in.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, yeah, that, that is a good point. But, like, yeah, all that, quote, unquote, found footage that we saw... Uh, you know, in, in the movie, it—I it, mean, it might as well have just been reading a newspaper headline, or, or you know, uh, quotes from you know the, the the townspeople and and what the, the, the what, what, what the town crier is telling the the world that people are thinking, because we don't actually see we don't follow around like a normal person and, and, you know, witness their grieving process. It's all just like new snippets and sound bites and, you know, brief, uh, uh, you know, quotes from the public being like, oh yeah, this is so sad. You know, we love her, fuck the Royal family. Um, so yeah, I mean, even that felt like we were really just getting like, you know, a shell of the public opinion and not really anything that, that gives us a, a, a real look into the heart of what people were going through.
0: Yeah. I will say I did find it to be a little too much archival footage personally, especially like they would show like a like a clip of somebody reacting to the situation and then just like Diana's face would just like pop up. And I'd be like, really?
1: And then and then some freeze frames, too. Yeah. 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 Um, but um, yeah. Sam, were you the one that hadn't seen this film?
0: Previously? I had not seen this
1: film. No. What did you think overall?
0: I enjoyed it. I do think it was probably one of the best movies that we've seen when we've kind of diverged from The Crown. Definitely like the most acclaimed movie, obviously, that we've seen since The King's Speech.
1: Although, Which I think was the first one I believe we so. ever, ever did. We we watched The King's Speech, we're ending it with The Queen, and then just a whole bunch of nonsense in the middle.
0: <laughs> yeah, we bookended it really well. But in hindsight, I feel like, if I was looking to learn stuff about the royal family or perceived to have learned stuff, having watched The Crown first and then watching this, I felt like this movie, I, I don't know, it, it left
1: me wanting more. In fairness, didn't season five of The Crown do the same? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is is—that is probably fair. Um, i I was confused, I think, by some of the portrayals here Big pro-Charles agenda was back in full effect in this movie. In what way? In that I feel like you're really supposed to sympathize with him. Um, it really downplayed his role, I think, in everything that happened in a way that the crown has really, I think, flipped the other direction. And I feel like you're really meant to be more on Diana's side of things. Like I feel like Charles here came across as like a very sympathetic character. Obviously, his ex-wife just died, but... There was that. I think Philip, I feel like this was a pretty negative portrayal of Philip. I don't know. I feel like you just get more out of the crown. And obviously, they have more time to explore these topics. And you really have a chance to kind of learn more about these characters. But this movie, I felt, you know, in a short amount of time, they felt a little bit more caricature-y. I
1: actually, in some ways, preferred this bombastic cartoonish version of Philip to what we got in season five, which was very (laughs) like, you know, kind of underwhelming and, and and slightly uneven so th- this reminded me more of like what i expected the matt smith version of philip to eventually grow up to be
0: yeah hmm. i will say this was probably my favorite portrayal of the queen mother i think in any oh, oh, any God. franchise <laughs> that we watched she so just far. gives such bad
2: advice that's just her <laughs> consistent thing across the board that woman never learns how to read a room
1: which is so funny because, like, she when she was younger, she was the voice of reason. Yeah, I
2: know. I guess you only get like ten years of vo- being the voice of reason, and then it's just out the window
1: be- be- before the like the Buckingham brain worms just work their way in.
2: Oh yeah, that's what happens to them all. Look at it happening to Margaret, where she was mad that her <laughs> the vacation part that killed me. <laughs> like she would yeah. say that out loud and want people to know that that's her complaint.
1: Uh, back to Charles for a moment though. Um, yeah, Sam agreed with everything you said. Like, yeah, there's a very sympathetic portrayal of him, um, here. I mean, there was also in season five, I think it was a very, we'll call it like forgiving edit, but I think this, this shifts the, uh, sort of like emotional core back to his relationship with Diana and it kind of removes any like vitriol that they had toward each other. Um, and really just Presents him as a, like longing for what was lost and what was uh, what his you know two sons have lost. Um, all that said, witnessing it with Alex Jennings in the role was so distracting. Yeah, I know
0: <laughs> it was. Yeah, uh, I, I would say it's not only that; it was also like, and we we do see this a little bit in the Crown, but his desire so much to position himself um, as a foil to his mother. Raising the flag to half, or I guess lowering the flag to half-mast at um, Highgrove, you know, doing all these things that will make the public still see him as somebody who is a member of the royal family, but is a more modern alternative to what Queen Elizabeth is offering.
1: Wait, did I miss it? Did they lower the, the flag to half-mast at Highgrove? He ended up doing that in this movie?
0: Yes. Uh, I think so, oh. Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, I must have just completely, like, glossed over that. Wow, okay. Huh. Yeah, But once again, Alex Jennings, like in this role, <laughs> um, it, it it's weird. I mean, again, like we obviously saw him as David first and, and quite extensively, but he seems to embody David so much more naturally than he does yeah. Charles. Like this felt like an incredibly stilted performance. And obviously mm-hmm. Charles has a very stilted demeanor, but I, I still feel like this was – like, he was acting just with his mouth and no other facial muscles.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, I agree with that. Oh, my God. I forgot who played... I know this guy so well, usually, but who played um, Charles in season four?
1: Uh Oh, uh, Josh O'Connor.
2: Yeah, I, it's not Josh O'Connor. Like, if we're stacking everyone up, I still think he's, like, the best Charles we've seen. I mean, granted, the...
1: he's also playing him at a time where Charles was allowed to be a little bit more... Uh, emotive and and go through some more personal journeys that were somewhat unrelated to all of this.
0: So, Carlin, for you, it's Josh O'Connor first, then King Charles BBC movie, then Johnny. Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, let me think. Uh, I honestly can't remember a lot of the movies that we've seen it, so I don't know how to rank them in with our performances. So, I'm just gonna, I'll definitively just say Josh O'Connor. But also, back to the point about Charles, I I couldn't tell if it was a pro-Charles agenda or if this happens to be the one moment in his life that he will be the most sympathetic he was and will ever be because it's such a human moment, right? Where, like, you know, like, yeah, like, this is his ex-wife and he has to deal with the reality of, like, they had a terrible marriage, but now he has, now, like, these children that he has don't have a mother. And it almost made you, it was interesting in that, like, you could see everything he did either as furthering his own position or out of love. And I was kind of choosing to see it a little bit as him actually like believing that what they were, you know, like raising the or lowering the mass and stuff like that was actually good as opposed to a PR move. I don't know.
1: Uh, I mean, okay, uh, agreed. But like, I think one, one thing you also might be missing here is that he is at this point in time, probably feeling a tremendous amount of guilt because this was like a girl who was plucked from obscurity that his parents forced him to marry and he you know kind of reluctantly agreed to and he witnessed sort of her like you know downward spiral as like this the institution and the monarchy kind of broke her down and uh you know i mean in some ways also lifted her up but like really like Mm you know put her through some traumatic events. And now she has, you know, met an untimely devise all as a result of, of, of something that he was also part of and, and had his family orchestrate against, against against Charles's own better judgment too. Like he knew he shouldn't have married this girl and he knew because he did, it, it, it eventually led to a tragic ending for her.
2: It's also so interesting. They'd never mention the press. Cause like the other funny thing is like Charles could also be disconnecting from this by saying like it was the paparazzi that killed her uh, on accident. Uh, we're not going into conspiracies here.
0: Well, I mean, they did include the the footage of um her brother, so yeah. her brother kind of did that for them. The one man out yeah.
2: to get the paparazzi.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, and I mean, and I <laughs> think has. the the little montage at the very beginning of the movie, like in Paris with the paparazzi, I think also kind of beats you over the head with the. The assertion that like, oh, the boiler room pressure that she had on her as a result of all these hooligans following her around like that. That's what did it.
2: Well, I just think it's interesting that no characters ever mentioned it. I guess we'll never really know if Charles mentioned it to the boys because I I don't know. Yeah. Kind of interesting. I
1: I will I will say that there has been a almost like frustrating string of, um, you know, uh, depictions of this time period. Where no writer and director has been willing to go anywhere near showing this through william and harry's perspective, and like and and i I am actually very curious if Peter Morgan will go there in the crown because it seems like no one's been touching that with a ten foot pole and and probably for good reason but <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah you 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 gotta wonder like you know is is the real emotional core of this story there and and i'm guessing the answer is yes but the the second question is like you know do we have a right to see that
2: i think they might show william and not harry like take it from Mm -hmm. his perspective because they already have a little um william actor right the one that went to Eaten?
0: Yeah. Yeah, 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 and we were starting to get William storylines in season five. Yes, so yeah, I will we actually were. be
2: surprised if they don't do a William perspective.
1: It, yeah. it, I mean, if if they don't at this point, it will feel like they are deliberately concealing that. Whereas with some of these other. Uh, you know, adaptations, they can sort of play dumb and say, oh, you know, there was so much more going on and so much more story we had to tell. But The Crown has the real estate to really kind of <laughs> yeah. show everyone's reaction and everyone's emotional journey during this time. And uh, yeah, I mean, having already established William as a as a character, you, you got to wonder if they don't show him extensively during this time period, it, it'll probably be a, a very deliberate choice. Yeah.
0: Okay. I don't want (laughs) to. I feel like we can't go any more into this podcast without talking about the titular character, the Queen, played by Helen Mirren. How did we find Helen Mirren's portrayal of a character that we've become very familiar with uh, over the course of five seasons of The Crown? Carlin, you go first.
2: I mean,. I think she did a good job. It's very, she definitely portrayed like the, one of the colder versions of Elizabeth, which doesn't feel inaccurate. It's almost just like a different way of like seeing an acting performance where, you know, you expect to see like a certain range of emotional reactions and stuff like that. And obviously we don't get that, but I don't think that Elizabeth was known. She was not known for that. So I liked it. I I did like it.
1: Yeah, I agree. It was, it was cold and very intense but I think also very regal. Like mm-hmm. this, th- this really feels like a version of Elizabeth that has sat on the throne for you know what is it four and a half decades at this point. So through that, yeah, through that lens, like I, I, I definitely feel like we're watching you know an older, wiser, hardened Elizabeth in a way that uh, you know Amelda Staunton has like definitely tapped into sometimes. But there's also been times where she just comes across as like a charming old grandmother in a way that the Helen Mirren version has has like very much strayed away from. She, she has evoked, you know, William and Harry and her duties as a grandmother, but it was a lot of telling and not showing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I,
2: that woman does not seem like a warm grandmother at all.
0: <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it too. She
2: didn't even go in. like She walked past Charles talking to the boys.
1: And then went to write in her diary at 4 a.m. Like, man. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But I, I mean, it, but in terms of tone deafness and how to, like, you know, uh, treat the boys during this time, like, you know, Philip it, it was just an absolute <laughs> buffoon. Like, he, like, instead of, you know, and I think somebody even suggested, like, oh, let's find, like, some kids their age they can hang out with as, like, a welcome distraction <laughs> And Philip's like, no, 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 no. We gotta go stag hunting. Like, like that's that's what they're gonna like get a kick out of right now.
2: Your mom dies, and then they take you hunting. Yeah, yeah. Let's go see more loss of life, kids. Ugh. How are they in any way, even slightly okay? I- incredible.
0: Yeah, I did. else I enjoyed as well the portrayal uh, Helen Mirren's portrayal of the Queen. I liked the little Easter eggs that we've kind of learned about her and her various relationships throughout the the movie for example philip calling her cabbage came up at one point um i feel like also you know throughout the crown we've kind of come to know elizabeth as somebody who loves getting advice loves to hear other people's opinions and then ultimately do nothing that was on full display here in this movie as her primary agenda and until she's really kind of forced to come back to to London and this is really kind of honestly like one of the few times where Elizabeth is really kind of forced to backtrack on you know her stance and her decision by external factors I felt like
2: yeah I mean it's remarkable honestly I mean
0: she but but also they sort of did it without
1: admitting to the fact that they were doing it like at, at no point yeah. in time in the in the third act of this movie <laughs> did Elizabeth say like oh We've made a mistake, like, you know, we we read the room wrong. It was just more like, oh, the world is changing, the the public's being annoying. Now I gotta do this.
2: <laughs> that's that's so much what old people are like. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of like you definitely get the sense that Elizabeth never had the moment of reckoning about how just cold and insensitive she was in that week. Wow. I yeah, I like it almost it didn't make her seem more sympathetic to me it felt like a very like business decision
0: so we got the stag metaphor in an episode in the crown i forget if that was i guess that season was season four, four right mm-hmm. uh because it was emma corin diana where again they're about moral doing some stag stalking and i think we came to the conclusion that in that episode of the crown the stag was kind of like a symbol for diana where the killing of the stag represented kind of like what's happening with her and the Royal family here. Obviously we got a stag. So, again. Sorry to interrupt, was, yes. was
1: this during the Balmoral test episode that this yes. happened? Yes. Mm-hmm. So wait, so remind me, we, she's going through the Balmoral test and she's helping Philip like track down and hunt the stag. And then he ends up successfully shooting it. Right? Yes. Correct. And the, the symbolism there is like, you're like Diana, like the, the, the pre-royal family diana is now dead and now she's gonna fall into this black hole of the monarchy
0: i think that was the way
1: yeah.
2: we
0: interpreted it yeah
2: and like spencer also had the moment with the was it the pheasants <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. they love comparing diana to animals that the royal family kills for sport
1: right right so so sam continue
0: i was gonna say here obviously no diana still a stag i feel like here the stag Has to represent something different because it's representing something in the emotional journey of Queen Elizabeth. Obviously, Queen Elizabeth is no stranger to hunting. She obviously seems like a pro hunting person. Yet, uh, we see this scene where she gets stuck in the river and the stag is like pretty much right next to her. And she's like, go away. (laughs) Like, somehow, you know, she will be able to save this stag by telling it to, to, you know, get away from from the rest of her family who's hunting it down.
1: Okay. I'm gonna pull a theory out of my ass. Um <laughs> okay. so that moment where she's in the river and she starts to break down crying. And I feel like it was almost like a very deliberate di- directorial decision to show her crying from behind. Like we never actually see her her sobbing. We we, we see some, you know, tears that have already like, you know, kind of like uh, fallen down her face, like after she's turned around. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she, she cries in, in private while the stag is there kind of watching over this. And then she dismisses it. I think the stag might represent Elizabeth's humanity.
2: Oh. oh I was going to say it's and, still Diana. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the humanity one.
1: When, and then she's very dismayed later on to hear that the stag has been sent to a farm. Well, well, really sent to a slaughterhouse on a <laughs> neighboring
0: farm.
2: Oh, my God. That, that checks I out. I don't know.
0: Does that work? I guess then, but what does the death of the stag represent in that analogy?
1: I mean, the death of Elizabeth's humanity, and now it's, you know, back to business as usual. She, she had a moment where she grieved, like yeah. just for herself and for everything that she's having to go through and the pressure being put upon her. Like it was mm-hmm. her, her moment where she drops the facade. There's no one around to see her crying. She's no longer the queen at that moment. She is just herself. And the stag is is hovering over her as this is occurring. And then she, you know, sends the stag away as her own rescuers are going to come and retrieve her from the river. That's the that's the real world coming. That's like, you know, suddenly she's going to have to recompose herself and be Queen Elizabeth again. So she dismisses the stag. And then later on, she hears that the stag is dead, which probably symbolizes that she is not going to have any other opportunities to retreat into this pure self anymore.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I do like that. I like that analogy. But man, her going to see that stag and they've already chopped off its head. (laughs) That was a wild scene. Peter
2: Morgan loves showing violent stag images.
0: Okay. Shall we pivot a little bit? I know we're kind of, we're kind of, (laughs) we're touching a lot of topics here. Should we pivot to Tony Blair? Because we haven't seen Tony Blair yet in The Crown, but we have seen many, many. We have. Have we? Have we?
1: I think we, so. we, he 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 debuted in the final episode in a relatively unceremonious manner. Like he had a couple of scenes, including one with um, uh, Charles on uh, the oh, Britannia yeah, the, the
2: conspiracy. <laughs>
1: Where, yeah, uh, okay. where Charles yes. was basically kind of uh, propositioning him almost in a similar way as he did here, where it's like, hey, we're both modern men. You know, you and I, we could work together pretty well. And in fact, th- th- this this might actually be like them showing that same event through a, a completely different lens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like we we were introduced to a tony blair that is we'll say far less charismatic than the uh michael sheen portrayal
0: Yeah. yes yeah. which uh, is why you don't remember him <laughs> probably um but yeah this is queen elizabeth's 10th i believe she says prime minister she's seen a lot of them uh mm-hmm. come and go over the course of her reign but something that will never get old for me is uh watching new prime ministers learn about <laughs> the protocol and proceeding really to completely, right. and proceeding to completely mess it up in their first meeting with the queen, never gets old. that seems like something you should learn before the day of yeah, like while you're
1: on while you're on the campaign trail, somebody should like pull you aside and it's like, okay, I, I know you're you're busy here, Mr. Blair, but we do need you know five to ten minutes of your time to just go through some protocols that you may need to quickly call upon in a few days.
2: or like I don't know when you win like that second <laughs> protocol time or, or
1: or or quite frankly when you're probably polling as well as Tony did
2: yeah he didn't want to jinx it he had to learn he doesn't believe it's happening until the queen like formally does the like little proposal thing then he'll learn protocol
0: yeah he's a superstitious man he is obviously a member of the labor party uh historically not the party aligned with the monarchy uh his wife specifically is portrayed as somebody who is radically anti-monarchist in her views and the way that she talks about the monarchy at home and yet it does feel like tony blair himself i don't know if this is something that develops over the course of this week or if this is always his stance is a little bit more moderate in his own approach and his own relationship to the queen i think they present it as maybe he has some sort of mom complex where he sees the queen as like a proxy for his mom it was interesting. It was an interesting portrayal.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, who was the who was our, uh, our our sort of like goat PM on the show, Harold Wilson? Like yeah. he's the one that we really like, right? Mm-hmm. So I think like he he also had the same thing where he was you know probably for his time very progressive and very left leaning, but also at the end of the day a monarchist, and that was going to be something that was going to continue to remain precious to him. I think there's probably some of that in this version of uh, Tony Blair as well. Having said that. I kind of wonder how much it was exaggerated here cuz that you know moment at the very end when yeah, you was- know they're watching <laughs> When they're watching her, you know, deliver the speech and they're all making their quips and, you know, Alistair is like, you know, talking about how – oh, yeah, this was before the speech when Alistair's like going over like the the draft that they had received and, you know, making fun of it. And suddenly Michael Sheen has this big moment like, how dare you? You know, you, you, you've really gotten this wrong. Like, you know, she's, she's like going through some just in- – Incredibly grueling circumstances, and everybody's shitting on her, and nobody's being grateful. Like, I mean, I mean, come on! You may as well have just like put some for your consideration text at the bottom of the screen during that. <laughs> oh scene. yeah, I
2: thought that was. It, just- <laughs> it,
1: it, it existed for no other reason than than for Michael Sheen to have like a grand moment that he can submit for best supporting actor.
2: Yeah, I, I felt to me, I was like, is this Peter Morgan's like you know voice piece? <laughs> to say his like true feelings about the queen, because yeah, it was it felt like something that was obviously manufactured for this movie. It was affecting to watch, but after you're finished, you're like, wait, no. So you think that it.
0: perhaps Tony Blair is a little bit more uh, in line with his wife? I I, I would imagine he
1: is uh, not really on either extreme. Like I I don't think he is like you know, a devout and unrelenting supporter of the monarchy, but I also don't think he wants off with their heads. I think he's more just like, guys, like, life is complicated. Like, let's just chill for a second, but not in, like, this impassioned way that he was in that scene.
0: I mean, I did think it was interesting. They make it a point where Queen Elizabeth issues him that warning at the end of the movie. I believe, though, while they were filming this movie, Tony Blair was still the prime minister, Oh, was he? I believe he was prime minister for like 10 years.
2: How long can he be prime minister for, by the way? Can this be forever?
0: I
1: think it can until your party is no longer the in power. Wow. But uh, yeah, I think 2007. So very shortly after this movie came out. Well, but the thing is, he was replaced by a labor prime minister like Gordon Brown. So and this is where this is where like my knowledge of like British parliamentary politics really comes to a very early end Uh, because i i've never i've yeah never wrapped my mind around like why somebody would get replaced for no other reason than like oh they have to step down because of to to you know ensure that the party stays in power because they their their own brand is so point poisonous but I would imagine he just kind of maybe stepped aside and called it a day. I I don't know, but it's it is kind of interesting timing that the movie came out a year before he was done.
0: On that note, about you know sympathies or <laughs> I guess monarchist or anti monarchist uh, POV's, what ends up becoming a pretty big factor in this movie is this imaginary poll, not imaginary poll, but this poll that you know is coming out where people are are uh, asked you know, should we abolish the monarchy? And 25% say, yes, uh, they think that we should abolish the monarchy. This really affects Queen Elizabeth. I actually fa- thought that 25% seemed low,
1: No, I guess, in I, relation I, I, to I, like I, today. Uh, yeah, uh, but I, I think it went from like probably, you know, 5% to 25% in a matter of a couple of days, which is probably a dramatic upswing.
2: I mean, how many people do you need to stage a revolution? Like you don't need that many. Twenty-five percent is enough to get it
0: done. (laughs) Yeah, you just need the right twenty-five percent.
2: I mean, how many people supported the French Revolution? Do we know? Was it 25%? Perhaps.
0: But I
1: I think what they were worried about was that number growing because like if it had really like, you know, ballooned so much in a couple of days, you know, you can only imagine what, you know, an additional week of inaction could have done.
0: I just want to say a lot of a uh, lot of footage of people laying flowers down. No that con. What's up with that? <laughs> no, no.
2: <laughs> oh my god.
0: That was his big moment. He got to lay down flowers.
2: They didn't capture that on film, unfortunately. I wonder what the percentage would have been if they. I mean, like if he ever did, which I don't know. Maybe he did. Like the likelihood that a news source would have gotten that on film. One in a million.
0: <laughs> I know
2: then they would have used the archival footage in the other movie.
0: I also just want to point out, so a lot of connections between this movie and The Crown, uh, but there was one we haven't talked about yet. Uh, Tom McMullen as Charles's assistant, not assistant, but like chief of staff, uh, Stephen Lamport, we saw in an episode of The Crown. Do you guys remember him? He was uh, Robin Woods, who was uh, in that one episode where Philip uh, became really involved in (laughs) the group of priests.
2: You remember the show oh. so well. <laughs>
1: wow,
0: yeah, he was the head of that uh, that group trying to create his own kind of, um, I guess, collection of priests where they could go and have like priestly summits. Huh. Okay. okay. Um, Small
2: world, English cinema.
1: So that was very fun. There was another one, um, oh. but I, I I recognize him more for Downton Abbey then for the crown in which he made i think just one appearance um so douglas uh wraith who uh, played a semi-prominent recurring character on the crown or sorry in downton abbey Uh, on the crown he appeared in one episode as uh i'll tell you in a second oh admiral Leach, who Uh uh appeared in the episode with like the the um, crisis in, uh, was it like Argentina or mm. the, yeah, th- the that Falkland one. The Falkland Islands. There you go. The Falkland Islands, that's the one. Yeah, he was like some military leader. You can cut this out of the episode, Sam.
0: I definitely would not have remembered that one. The other thing I wanted to touch upon briefly was um, them stealing the Queen Mother's funeral, which is just a savage move. We haven't talked about it yet, but Taybridge... I feel like we've heard that on The Crown before that funeral plan. Like, that rang a bell for me. But they end up stealing Taybridge and <laughs> replacing various aspects of it with what I'm I'm sure the monarchy found to be appalling. Actors, actors, <laughs> mm-hmm. as part of a funeral. Elton John, how dare. <laughs> Tom Hanks. <laughs> uh, Steven Spielberg. I mean, what happens then? Does the queen mother then get like philip's funeral plan is they're just <laughs> cascading are people passing around their funeral plans now because they had to I guess emergency so. give this one to diana or does she still get her same funeral plan
1: <laughs> this seemed like such a non troversy to me because it's basically like okay yeah there's going to be the same rough amount of people the same kind of general order of processions, <laughs> uh, same relative you know kind of like structure but, you know, all the details and all the decorations will be different. It's like, I mean, God, the, Taybridge can't get here soon enough. It's <laughs> all I'm saying.
0: They also oh say it's God. the only one that they've rehearsed. How often are they rehearsing Taybridge? <laughs> you're, I you're,
1: would.
2: You're so yeah. old that someone's just rehearsing <laughs> your funeral. Were they doing that for the real queen? They must have been. If they're sure, doing they a pretty I would
0: imagine, yeah, yeah like they queen mother insinuates that they anticipate her dying very imminently
2: up and then she doesn't do it for a long time
0: (laughs) speaking of
1: queen mother related contingencies the the whole thing about her having like this private jet on reserve that would be used (laughs) at, at, at a point in time where she would need to be transported back to london for her funeral first of all Kind of weird, kind of wasteful, but secondly, yeah. um, like the fact that that option exists, and the queen, uh, queen, uh, the queen Elizabeth, the, the monarch, says to Charles, like, "Oh no, you still got to find your own way to London," and he had to like have his people call a travel agency that like booked the first flight out to him that involved a layover in Manchester.
0: <laughs> yeah, the and other direction. I bizarre.
1: love
2: so bizarre. <laughs>
1: I love that like he had to basically then bring that up to uh you know his mother and be like is this really what you want me to do you want me to have a layover in Manchester on the way back to see my my deceased wife. What the hell is wrong with you? And she's like okay yeah, you're right. That would be <laughs> I think that that was the moment in the film where she admitted to making a mistake. Not later on. Like yeah, later on she was just like, you know, just kind of playing dumb about the fact that she, you know, misread the whole situation, but in that moment she was like yeah, I'm not going to make you fly, you know, commercial and do a layover. That, that was stupid. I'm sorry.
0: I think that was a bluff because Diana died at what, like 5 a.m.? That means it was like, what, 11 p.m. in New York? What travel agency is open in New York at like midnight? Oh, there's someone who's on call. <laughs> Why
1: wouldn't you call like in, the, you know, like a further out direction east where like <laughs> now it's like, you know, later in the morning?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it was a bluff. I don't believe that. Why didn't
1: you call Istanbul?
0: Yeah, Istanbul known for their travel agencies. (laughs) Why? Okay, anything else that uh, we missed here in The Queen?
1: No, I mean, there's a lot to talk about, but I think we covered the broad strokes. That said, I think when we return with our recaps for season six later this year, I imagine we will be calling back and referencing this film quite a bit as we compare and contrast the, the, the depictions of this
0: time period. I mean, there is so much going on here. Do we think that, uh, so this basically is a week. We think that's one episode of The Crown, two episodes of The Crown. How much will The Crown dedicate to this moment? Maybe
1: two. Yeah, or, it, it is hard to say. Um, I would imagine maybe they will shuffle things around a bit and maybe move some emotional story arcs and have them depicted outside of this time period when really they, sh- they would have occurred during these days. Like maybe we will get the William and Harry emotional impact episode, but it will be after the episode depicting all of this logistical hoopla.
0: Yeah, I mean, the fact that we've now seen two movies that kind of float into each other, what, like three and a half, almost four hours of screen time dedicated to relatively a short window of time. Granted, we've already seen some of it in The Crown on Diana's side. To say that
1: these two films float into each other is like saying that a small stream of sludge flowed into a <laughs> mighty clean river.
0: Fair enough. So, yeah, I guess we don't need to talk about the Diana movie anymore. Um, oh, I think one thing, though, sorry, just one more thing that we haven't, I think, seen at all in The Crown is this idea of Charles's that he's going to get shot.
2: <laughs> this kind of checked out for him.
0: He has this like fear in this movie of getting shot, and we see this like recurring, like when he hears like a motorcycle engine backfiring. Right,
1: it recurs and it culminates in absolutely nothing. Like, <laughs> we, like He's there's just no a
0: paranoid man.
1: Yeah, there, there's no like uh, payoff or resolution for this. Not, not that the payoff would have been him actually getting shot, but like, <laughs> uh, you know, like, to, like
2: <laughs> change history. This movie would gotten like a way lower score uh, if they just shot
1: Charles. <laughs> surprise, suckers! We Tarantino'd this. <laughs>
0: I mean, in fairness, we did just come off watching Young Victoria where somebody (laughs) did get shot and didn't actually get shot. So
2: come on, filmmakers, be bold, do it. (laughs) That's the next Diana thing we need.
0: All right. Shall we dive into, as always, uh, giving out the movie's Kinky Crown Award? Yeah. So
1: you two can put forward your nominations, but I will say- I already have one in my mind and I'm very hopeful that one of you two will pick up on it Okay. and present accordingly. So uh, who did it first last week? Uh, I did. All right. So Carlin, you go first this time.
2: Okay. So mine was when Tony Blair met the queen for the first time and he got down on one knee and then the queen was like, Mr. Blair, I asked the question. That's all I got. I didn't find that much. (laughs) Sam, your turn.
0: Uh okay mine is also from that moment but it's a different moment. It's okay. um I guess it's from before, right? Um when Liz is being warned that Tony Blair's wife is known for giving shallow curtsies. Queen Elizabeth says that she doesn't measure the depth of a curtsy, she leaves that to her sister.
1: Hmm. Wait, I don't get it. What's 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 the innuendo? What's the insinuation there? It just
0: seems like a kinky thing to say. Jesus
1: I can Christ. See that. Okay, um, all right, neither of you win this week. <laughs> <laughs> what,
2: what do you want to win? What I wanted
1: to win is Alistair's fascination with making Tony look good. Like all of his speeches and all of his like, you know, kind of like talking points like, oh, and like all the press he's getting like, oh, check it out, buddy. They're loving it. They're loving it. You demand. man. Like there, there was definitely some subtext there.
0: I don't think I would have nominated that. I don't think that, so. Either. That was not. That did not. That was not in my in my mind. Finally, okay. I saw something you two didn't. All right. I mean, Ivan, we can restructure this award if you want to participate again.
1: Uh, the only restructuring I'm interested in is abolishing. I mean, uh, if if twenty five percent is enough to you know s- suggest that the monarchy should be abolished, then thirty three percent should be enough to suggest that we get rid of this damn award
2: okay so our new poll will be do you want to keep the kinky crown awards and if 25% of the people vote to get rid of it then we'll get rid of it
0: perfect Wow. all right that's a very low bar okay 25% so all we, right,
1: re- we really see-
0: just we really need two
1: people to vote <laughs> and to vote opposite <laughs> of one another and we're done
0: all right we'll see what happens very curious see the <laughs> we'll results let, of we'll let poll.
1: constitutional democracy prevail Wow.
0: Okay. Um, I guess that's really us modernizing the podcast for you. Finally growing up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so that I think takes us to a close here on the 2006 movie, the queen, a little bit of a longer podcast than usual, but a better movie than what we've seen in quite yeah. some time. So we had a lot to talk. There about. was, there was, there was
1: more substance to kind of <laughs> like get into here than anything that we've talked about in a
0: while. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think that's going to pretty much wrap it up for us on kind of our mid-season, or I guess between-season movie coverage. We're not really planning on anything else until we come back for season six. So, you know, if you have any suggestions, we're definitely open. Feel free to send them our way. But this, for all intents and purposes, I think is where we'll leave it until we dive back into next season of The Crown.
1: Yeah, unless between now and November-ish, there's a film adaptation of Spare. No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ivan, if people want to catch up with you about The Queen, The Crown, or anything else, uh, where can they do that?
1: I mean, there are condolence books in every embassy across the world. <laughs> uh, just <laughs> stop by and uh, leave a message there, and I'll eventually swing by and check it out.
0: Every emb- That's part of Ghost Protocol? There's embass- <laughs> a condolence book in yes. every
1: embassy? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the key That's the key part of the execution strategy. <laughs> uh, Carlin, what about you?
2: Um, Instagram, uh, at Carlin underscore G-E-E, and Twitter, at Carlin Greenwald.
0: All right, you can find me on Twitter at SirSamChung, but the best place to reach us is on Twitter, at CrownAroundPod, and that's all we've got for you today. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time.
1: God save the queen. God save
0: God the queen. God save the queen.